Hello and welcome from wherever you may be listening tonight. My name is Brad Heath. I'm going to be your host right here on Oklahoma Ghost Stories. Tonight, our special guest is going to be Tanya McCoy. She is the founder of the Oklahoma Paranormal Association here in Oklahoma, founded in 2010. Is that correct? Yes. Very good. And and I noticed on the Facebook page, it says the primary goal is to help those in need who may be experiencing paranormal activity in their home or business. Tell me a little bit more about what, what it is that you guys do. Um, well, basically, it's uh, people out there that are, you know, think they might be experiencing some paranormal activity can give us messages or phone calls. And we'll go through and kind of do an interview process with them to see what they're experiencing. And if we think that they might actually be having some paranormal ex- um, experiences, then we'll go out and kind of do what's called a walkthrough. So we'll walk through the place, uh, see if we pick up on anything while we're walking through, do a little more in-depth interview. And if we feel like there is a reason to possibly have an investigation, then we'll set one up from there. And we'll go in and take the equipment and run an actual investigation during that time. Right. So uh, let me give the listeners a little background on you, if I can. And you uh, obviously are an accomplished author. Haunted Oklahoma City, Haunted El Reno, Haunted Guthrie. I see a theme here. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Haunted Shawnee coming out soon. And you do have some co-authors uh, on those endeavors as well. But tell me about that series. Uh, basically, it's a well-known series through Arcadia Publishing. And uh, the Shawnee book actually came out this year. So oh, it's already out. Great. Book five is out. Um, and it talks about the history of Oklahoma and those areas that we write about. And then it brings in the ghost stories that are associated with that. And then also folklore uh, that might be around that area. So yeah. it, it touches base on a little bit of everything. And I, I think you've touched on what a lot of people would consider some hot spots. I know uh, Guthrie is considered a hot spot, uh, El Reno as well. Um, when you were putting those together, did you did that become obvious as you were going through the process? Well, with Guthrie itself, we were already investigating in that area. We had quite a few buildings up there that we were going through and doing events with and having a lot of experiences ourselves. And then I held one of our yearly uh, paranormal conferences up there and had Jeff uh, come in and speak, which Jeff and I had talked before when he was writing one of his books for Norman in the OU book. And he had interviewed me for some stuff and we both got to talk and it was like, man, we need to write a book about Guthrie. And so we just ended up um, pairing up and kicking the book out. And yeah. Just kind of started that. That's that's Jeff Provine. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And uh, Whitney Wilson is also someone who's helped you with uh, the Canadian County book and uh, El Reno, I believe. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Whitney is actually my best friend. Uh, we have a business together and she's been on my team forever. She's kind of my right hand person that I go to and she uh, also loves to write. And of course we were, we're both from Mustang, which is here in Canadian County. So we both kind of was just like, Hey, let's go ahead and, and write about this. And we had another paranormal conference in El Reno this time and had a lot of history and a lot of experiences. So it just kind of kicked off the next little group of books for us. 
Well, let's talk about how you got started in this, because I'm always fascinated to learn why or the reasons surrounding someone decides to devote so much time and energy to this study of the paranormal. Okay. Um, well, I myself have just had a lot of experiences throughout my life, things that I didn't ever really quite have answers for, which kind of got me interested in it. Um I saw my first full body apparition when I was six years old and I've just kind of just stuck with me ever since. And there's always been questions as to why, um, you know, being raised very religious, being the daughter of a pastor, we were always taught, you know, there's no such thing as ghosts. There's heaven, there's hell, you know, anything that's, that might be a possible ghost is demonic. Yeah. And the things I was seeing, I knew was not. You know, when my grandmother had passed away and she visited me the night she had passed away, I, I knew she wasn't a demonic. So I wanted answers and I always kind of had that curiosity. And when I got into my 20s, I started getting kind of uh, more involved in it as far as researching. And then in my 30s, I happened to meet up with a group out of Yukon with a theater I was with, a troupe I was with, and a lot of us had that similar interest and they were starting a team and I got to join and kind of moved up the ranks there. And then I decided I needed to start my own just because I felt like there were certain areas I really wanted to go further into and branched off. And that's what started OPA. Yeah. So six years old, that's a pretty impressionable young age. I mean, obviously uh, if, if you're seeing, someone that you're close to and that you love that that's obviously more comforting than than seeing someone or something that you're not uh, when you were at that age and you got the visitation from your grandmother was it comforting did you did you recognize her immediately actually my grandmother didn't visit me till I was almost 12 the wow. first one I saw wasn't my grandmother it was in a house we were in and it actually scared the living crap out of me yeah, <laughs> it's just I I still to this day remember it, and I've been back to that old house, which is it's just storage now. Nobody's even living in it, um, and I've always wanted to go back and see who it was, but I've never actually got the opportunity to do it. But it was kind of that turning point in my life that I really kind of started me down this this track. It was the first nudge in that direction, anyway. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, do you think that? what we are seeing with the apparitions or spirits, uh, they have multiple names. It seems like uh, we're, we're calling them something different all the time, but do you think what we're seeing is residual energy or is it actually uh, the, the spirit actually coming back or, or, or being stuck on a plane? Well, we do have actually different, different words and different versions. And, what you're describing or what you were describing at first is what we call a photographic haunting. So there's actually several different types of hauntings and there's different levels. So you'll have your photographic haunting, which is the one that is just kind of a, a replay of history over and over. And basically when I explain this in class and, and on my tours, what I tell people is our bodies have these individual little battery packs in each and every cell we have, which our body has trillions and trillions of cells. So we have trillions and trillions of these little batteries that, you know, basically are ATP. It's our basic anatomy physiology stuff. 
those batteries get pumped, so to speak, get um, stronger when we're going through like an emotional or a trauma or even a happy time. Our bodies just put off so much energy that it it works kind of like a photograph, like an old one that would actually imprint on time. So when we're seeing these photographic hauntings, that is basically what it is. It's a photograph on time. And when you see those, they're not going to interact with you. It's going to be the same thing over and over again. So if you see uh, Silver War soldiers, you know, walking across the field over and over, but they're not interacting, that's more of a photographic Or, you know, if every night you're sitting on the couch and you see a woman walk through your living room and she takes the same path, but she never acknowledges you, that's a photographic. But if you're sitting there one night and this woman turns and looks at you and now she's changed and acknowledged you, that makes her no longer a photographic. She's an intelligent haunting, which is your second type of haunting. So an intelligent haunting is an actual spirit. That would be someone that has passed away, but for whatever reason, they're there. Either it's their favorite place or they're attached to something or someone or perhaps it was traumatic and, and that's just kept them there. And some don't even realize they're dead. We've, we've actually got EVPs where you can actually hear it say, am I dead? They, yeah. they don't know. Right. So that goes into your next type of haunting. That is your intelligent haunting. Now, the next haunting is a poltergeist haunting, which is what most people think of when they think of, you know, scary movies or or ghost is poltergeist which a poltergeist is no more than what's called a noisy ghost that's the german word for it of course um and a poltergeist is something that can move an object so you actually have two types of poltergeist activity one is not a ghost at all it's usually a teenager that's causing things to move by telekinesis So when we're in our teenage years and we have so much energy going on, we're putting out just these waves and waves of energy, the ability to actually make things happen. We had one lady called and her case was literally nothing more than her teenager who was going through emotional times, making the garage door go up and down on its own. Wow. So the other kind of poltergeist is an act of intelligent spirit that can move things. So when people think of poltergeist, they think of something evil, but the the best way I can really explain a poltergeist is it's an intelligent spirit that has learned how to manipulate energy through telekinesis. So I often give people the example of uh, watching the movie ghost when Patrick Swayze first dies. You know, at first, he, his hands just keep going through things, and he can't move anything, and he gets frustrated until he sees this ghost down in the uh, subway that is kicking a can, and he is trying to figure out how to do it, and the other spirit is literally telling him, you're pushing the energy with your energy. Right. So anyone that knows anything about science or, you know, quantum physics, energy cannot be created, it cannot be destroyed, but it can be transferred. So if our body's all this energy, where is it going? Some say, yes, it goes to heaven. Some say it goes to hell. Others say it stays on this plane. Um, but that's literally just a spirit that has learned how to move that. So if you take like two magnets and try to push them off of each other, it's kind of the same force as a telekinesis. It's two energy forces pushing off of each other. 
So it's literally just an intelligent spirit that has learned how to use that energy to make objects move. Um, and of course, the, the last haunting is the demonic, which those are far and few between. They have been a little more prominent recently, but depending on on what you study and what you believe, there's a certain set of numbers of angelics and certain set of numbers of demonics and it's a certain number and an, an angel or a demon is considered something that's never been a living human so it's a totally different different type of entity so there's a certain amount of those um and it goes through the hierarchy as far as even um like a military hierarchy kind of set up right so people that go out and think everything's a demonic um, it just, it's not plausible. There's, there's just not enough of that to, to really happen. Right. So, now, go ahead. The, the energy, the energy that you mentioned and, and a, a spirit's ability to translate that into actually moving something mm -hmm. that, that reminds me of, of, you know, you being able to, uh, not, not not transfer your energy, but use that, that unseen force to actually get movement in something. Why is it that, or why do you think it is that, that, that energy, um, is that generated just from spirit or do they use things that are around them to help generate that, that energy? They can do both. I mean, and when you have these investigations and things like we do, you'll see a change in your energy. You'll see changes in the energy levels. You'll have batteries drain. They're going to take whatever kind of energy they can to give themselves enough energy to manifest what they need to do. It, I mean, it's like us. We have to eat an apple to get the energy to make our body function, right? We have to eat. Right. So they're just doing it on a different level. They're doing it in more of the, the not seen, uh, I don't know how to explain this really. I put it into a word, um, into a force field basically, or into the atmospheric area that they're just drawing all that energy from to help actually manifest what they need to get manifested. Right. Right. And, and our, our houses today seem to be more in tune for that because you've got You've got Wi-Fi connection. You've got all types of electronic devices that run through your house, different types of devices that are powered by some type of a battery that, you know, the houses that we build and that we live in today are much more uh, energy aware as opposed to, say, a house built uh, just just 30 years ago, uh, even 20 years ago. Are you seeing that you're getting more phone calls and more contacts from people who are in uh, newer houses now? Honestly, I, I don't think it's – we get calls from people in new houses that often think they're, they don't understand why their house would be haunted. It's brand new. Nobody lived there before, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. Um, and a lot of times we have to tell them it could be the land. It could be you. It could be something you brought into the house, you know, antique furniture, whatever. Um. I think it helps to energize when they manifest more. Absolutely. But we still, I mean, I don't think it really matters so much the age of the house, because even if it's an older house, you're still bringing in new electronics. So any of that's going to help fuel the fire, so to speak. Sure. Sure. Have, have you discovered a strong connection to 
the fact that Oklahoma has been Native American land for so long that uh, obviously, you know, there's got to be some type of a connection to to them. Are you uh, or have you ever encountered that on an investigation? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you you encounter that. Um, and there's there's been a lot of bloodshed in this area. I mean, you, you talk about Gettysburg and everything and, and how all of that has so much history and blood seeped into the land. But honestly, we have that right here in Oklahoma. We yeah. have as just as much death and destruction. So there is a long history with it. And of course, we are, we are going to come across that. We've investigated a couple of the Indian schools, you know, and the long, horrible history with that and how right. they were mistreated and murdered and, you know, used for profit and gain. So all of that's just still here in this, in this land and in its history of Oklahoma. Oklahoma has a very unique history. And it's someplace you're not going to find anywhere else in the United States. It's really not. Right. Has there been an investigation that you were on that uh, still kind of sticks out in your mind as as one of of that that made you uncomfortable or is just it was just so memorable that uh, when you look back over, you know, the last uh, uh, 10 years or more, uh, is there one that stands out like that for you? We have so many investigations under our belt. It's oh, nowadays it almost like they all kind of run together, but <laughs> it's, I mean, we, we definitely had some good ones. Overholster was probably one of the bigger ones that we have that we had um, probably one of the worst negative things ever happen. And it wasn't that the overholster itself was the issue it was actually someone that was in the group so and not our group it was guest that had an attachment and it just caused um some very negative ramifications in the investigation where people were getting literally sick um and just some bad mojo so to speak after that but that one was probably one of the worst and of course we had we had John Zaffis with us that night, the haunted collector from the travel channel. Um, luckily, you know, he was there cause he is a renowned demonologist. Um, right. and while we were actually investigating inside the mansion, one of the boxes started going off and was responding to him. And he basically said it was Ed Warren, you know, which is his uncle. And he was laughing because I guess Ed was saying things to him. But later, I think we were actually kind of realizing we think Ed might have been warning us about what was actually around at the time that would have been on a demonic level. So that was a very memorable. I mean, when you're investigating with Johnny Saffas and, and Ed Warren's talking to him through one of the machines, it's just kind of like, whoa. You yeah. Know? I can imagine that's a that's a memorable moment right oh, there. Oh yeah. Um do you think that that spirit can can recognize people? I mean obviously, you know, someone like that who is so renowned in his knowledge mm -hmm. of of demonology and everything. Do you do you think that when that person walks into the room that they know he's there? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, even if we're going on an investigation where there is a demonic or even just a very nasty, ugly, 
ugly spirit that knows we're coming and they don't want us there, they lash out. I mean, we've, I've been attacked in my own home because something yeah. knew we were coming and it was trying to scare us off from coming. Um, and that's probably the most scariest thing I've ever endured. So, and then, you know, after I figured out what it was, I was just pissed that it even messed with me in my home. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's weird. I mean, once you've been in it for so long, you've seen so much and felt so much after a while, it's kind of second nature. So you don't really get scared a whole lot, but that one did, did shake me up. So. Sure. Are, are attachments the most dangerous part of this? Um, I don't know if I consider it the most dangerous. It's definitely a probability. I mean, we, we, like I said, we've had things come home with us. We've had things come attack us before we even went out to a home. Um, you know, and I just went through a pretty bad one where it actually messed with my family there for a little bit. And we had to take care of that. And it can make you physically ill. I mean, it yeah. can really take its toll, both mentally and physically on you. So it's, it's not all fun and games like a lot of people like to think it is. It. It can definitely right. take its toll. Can can you tell before you guys do an investigation uh, whether you're on scene or not? Can you tell before you go inside that this one's going to be interesting? Yeah, we can usually get a feeling. Um, and when sometimes if, if I'm the one that's taking the call or, you know, a couple of them that I know has the other ability to, if we're interviewing on the phone, we do what's called a remote read we actually start seeing inside their home before we ever set foot inside. And yeah. we can usually tell kind of what's there and what's not. And, and this, this year has just been weird. We've had some very, some of the most unique and weirdest investigations I could probably ever even think of having. And honestly, it's been more demonics this year, which has been really weird. Cause that, like I said, and, that just doesn't happen much. Do you think that's a sign of something? Oh, definitely. I mean, we know that the veil is thinning. I mean, you have an increase of all the anxiety going on right now in the world. Um, everybody's having a harder time. So everybody has in emotional increases, which makes them more vulnerable to everything and anything. It's kind of like um, if you go around somebody who's got a cold and you're already worn down, you're probably going to catch that cold. So we have to be careful when we go out on these investigations. And there's been some I've had to actually, when I was going through mine, I said, guys, I can't, I just, I am not strong enough right now to do this because I knew that would yeah. suscept, you know, make me susceptible to what was on and what was going on around at that time. So with all of that, the emotional instability everybody's you know out of control world right now it's really thin that veil and it's just made it to where a lot a lot more people are more vulnerable and then also the increase in interest um not that it's a bad thing to have an increased interest in this but you get people out there that watch these shows and we they become what we call uh weekend ghost hunters that go out and do things, but they do things wrong and it's dangerous. You know, it's like playing with a Ouija board, but you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to close it. 
sometimes you open that door and you can't close it. So that's where a lot of these other ones are coming from. It's people that are dabbling in magic. They're dabbling in Ouija boards. They're dabbling in, in all of this and they don't know how to do it properly. Right. Uh, Tanya McCoy is joining us. She's the founder of the Oklahoma Paranormal Association. And uh, we're, we're, we're discussing uh, some of the things that uh, she's been involved with over the years. And you mentioned the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's always been interesting to me because it's made by the same people that make Monopoly. And, and yet here it is, this tool that you can buy off the shelf to basically speak with something from the other side and and you're right people just don't really understand what they're getting into with that right and I know people that use it as a tool and that's fine I usually tell people not to because like I said most don't know what they're doing they don't know how to properly close it and I can't even tell you how many places we've been in that we've had to clean up because people have brought out the Ouija board and improperly did it or played it by themselves and you leave yourself open at that point um it can just be dangerous. And the, the board itself, yeah, everybody downplays it because it's made by Procter & Gamble. But if you look up some of the history of Procter & Gamble, you'll find some very interesting tidbits. And if you look up the history of the Ouija board, you'll find some interesting tidbits. Now, these type of devices have been used for centuries. It was put more into a board game in the late 1800s. But the gentleman who, quote unquote, used the idea to make this board ended up dying very mysteriously. He actually ended up falling off the roof of his building. And a lot of death is surrounding that board and its actual uh, creation. So anybody yeah. has any free time, Shocking, look at right? it and read it, read the history of the yeah. Ouija board as far as everything that's happened to anyone that ever had the rights and the control of owning that board as far as the business side itself died a very mysterious death. So, yeah. Well, are, are the demonic spirits, the demonic possessions and things that happen, you said you've seen an increase or an uptick in the number of phone calls and the number of cases that you're seeing. And, and, and obviously we live in a, a very, very strange time right now. And you mentioned everyone's anxiety about the uncertainty and the unrest and and all the all the stuff that's going on around us. Do they do you think that they have the power to actually influence things outside of the the plane that they're on? Can they actually influence things that are going oh, on? Absolutely. Us? I feel like they can. Um, I mean, they're going to cause any mischief they possibly can. That's kind of how they get their kicks. But um it's energy. So a lot of it is energy. So crossing an energy plane, isn't that hard? Yeah. Have you come across, uh, ghosts or spirits that are playful? Yeah. Yeah, We've, we've had them that's, that's played games or even some that have tossed little things at us or, um, nothing harmful in any way, shape or form. Sometimes a little scary, right? (laughs) but Sure. I, mean, I was, yeah, especially in the, in the uh, dark. I mean, when I did the the filming for, um, you know, which one was it? 
haunted hospitals. Um, the haunted hospitals episode actually took three stories and kind of merged into one. And the scary one that was, I think it was playful. I don't really think it was threatening in any way, but um, the story was basically, I was coming out of the bathroom and down this hall, and this is the real story anyway, down the hall uh, into the front room, there was a basket of toys that was my patient's play area. And it's like the minute I stepped across the threshold of the bathroom, one of these toys went off and said, I see you. Do you see me? And I'm like, <laughs> nope, shut the door, walked down the hall, ignored it as much as I could because I don't do freaky toys. Um, right. And yeah, it was just getting my attention. It never harmed me or threatened me in any way. But man, it was freaky to hear that thing go off, especially with the fact that we went through all of those toys the next morning and not one of them made that comment it was not programmed none of them were programmed to say that and see i would think that your reaction to that is as natural as can be i mean i don't know uh you know anyone who would who would embrace that immediately just just having that happen right in front of you obviously would be enough to freak even uh a veteran uh you know in this uh line of work like you are it 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 it's, it yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. I mean, I wasn't really, that one I wasn't too scared on. I was just like, I am not going down that dark hall by myself to investigate that right now. Just not going to do it. You know? <laughs> so I just went and <laughs> sat back with my patient again and <laughs> told my patient's mom right, the next right. day and we went so, through all the toys and nothing. So who are some of the, uh, members on the investigation team? Oh Lord. Have? Um, <laughs> Let's see. I have Whitney Wilson has been with me the longest. Chris, Deborah, Kim, Keisha, Lonnie, uh, Sheila, Kayla, and I just added Donna and Kayla. Those are kind of the newer ones. I'm trying to think. I'm going through the list in my mind to make sure I'm not missing anybody. I think we're at 11 right now. And do you guys all go together or will you divide it up? Um, it depends. Usually we will, I mean, I'll basically, if there's like an event or an investigation, I'll put it out there and say, Hey, this is what we got. You know, we've got this coming up, this coming up, this coming up, who's available, you know, and we'll kind of go from there. And, you know, if it's a private residential home, then depending on what's going there, I may call Chris who works as like my demonologist on my team. And I'll be like, Hey, this might have some ugly bug in it. Can you go ahead and come out with me and let's see what happens and, you know, figure out if we need to cleanse the home or do whatever we need to do. Um, so it's, it's kind of open. I put it out there to my team members and, you know, they're like, Oh, that one sounds cool. I really want to go. We'll just, you know, I didn't go. Right. What's, What's the process when you do have something uh, inside a residence or a or a business that you need to clear? Well, we have to do the investigation first because we have to find out exactly what it is. Um, how we cleanse it is going to depend on, on, on what it is, basically. If it's going more into a demonic or if it's going more into just a really ugly negative or if it's just a regular spirit that the, you know, family or, or owners are just like, I really don't want them here. Um then we can go in and try to do that. But like I said, it depends on what it is and depending on what it is and how it's affecting the people and that person's actual belief base. So 
how we cleanse a home even goes off the homeowner or the business owner, depending on their religion. So it, it's right. so many different ways to go about it in so many different rules. And it's not a guarantee that it'll be gone. It's, there's just no way we can guarantee that. But Right. And, and is it based on, on the, the homeowner's religion as to where the spirit goes once it's cleansed? Um, as far as the, where the spirit goes really isn't up to the homeowner. It's going to be up to the spirit. But, uh, oh God, I don't even know how to really explain that. Um, yeah, I, I know it's, a, it, it's tough because it's obviously all... that's a very... That's a very tough subject to even right. know and, and understand. Still, sorry, I just dropped something. But it's but still somewhere. Theory. A lot of this is still theory. It, it's not right. anything put in concrete as to what we have and what we're dealing with. Because it's never came out in black and white and said, this is what it is. We've, we've not been able to do that. That's why right. we're still researching. We're still trying to figure it out ourselves. There, there is no for sure answer to it. So... Have you have have you ever had a a medium or someone who who connects in spirit that way with one of your? Uh, I have several on my team. <laughs> so so when when they're connecting with the spirit in that in mm-hmm. that way, um, can they not can they not find out from them like why are you still here? Why don't you? Yeah, cross we'll over? ask, and a lot of times we will get answers. A lot of times we'll get the feelings. Um, so we can try to get them. It doesn't mean they're going to give it to us, but we always try. We always try to find out what it is and yeah. if there is something we can do to help them. Because ultimately, if it's a human spirit, we absolutely want to help them cross if they want to cross. A lot of them are actually too afraid to right. cross. Some might be afraid because of what they did in life. They're afraid because, you know, they're always taught, you go to hell for this. So they worry, am I going to hell? Did I, did I do this wrong? Did I do this right? You know, so they're kind of afraid to find yeah, out. Yeah, that that makes sense. That yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because then they're just kind of stuck in limbo, and and that way, depending on what you believe, they they don't have right. to go and be judged. They kind of create their own purgatory. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's that's very very sad in a way because obviously, you know, we don't know what that that realm actually looks like, but they're they're staying in one spot and they're basically prisoners in their in their own little world well well you recently had an investigation Mm -hmm. in blackwell and uh you guys are very very good very active on your facebook page you actually do live videos and i got to tune in to some of it while you guys were doing the investigation and you guys use multiple pieces of equipment Tell me a little bit about some of the things that you guys use and uh, why you use them. Well, the one that most people tend to know or really connect with is the the EMF uh, tools, which EMF just picks up on, you know, magnetic fields, electronic magnetic fields. Um, And those are your K2s, basically. We also have another version called a ghost uh, ghost tool. Um, And then there's also... The handheld other EMFs that can tell you the energy levels and the temperature. So those basically work off energy shifts. The only problem with those okay. is a cell phone can set it off. 
So if you've got your Wi-Fi on, it can make that go off. So a lot of times we'll have them go airplane mode if they're, you know, holding or working with those kinds of equipment. Um, Wi-Fi's uh, lights, high, high EMF levels with the lights can set those off. Uh, a walkie-talkie can set those off. And even a police radio can set all that off. So you have to go through and get your basic scan and, and see where your high EMF levels are. You know, and sometimes these hauntings are really nothing more than high EMF levels in the home that's making people kind of feel funny because that's what it can do. Yeah. Um, so you have those. Then you have periscopes. Those are built by Jeremy um, through Paranologies. Those pick up on static electricity. So the other theory behind ghosts and spirits is they can give a static electricity type feel because they're energy, right? their energy so it's a static electricity type uh when they come around it'll light the thing up rainbow so it picks up on the static electricity uh let's see what else uh temperature grams of course are always great for any temperature differences motion sensors touch lights um we've actually had some good stuff with some of our simple touch lights just you know yes no questions on doing the touch lights Grid lights, uh, that'd be the one you saw the other night, just shines little light dots all over the wall. That actually shows us when there is shadow figures coming around. So we can tell when something blocks out those lights or, you know, crosses in front of them. Um, Let's see. Sorry, my brain is literally hurting right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Guys, use you guys use. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. we run well. recorders for the EVPs, which is the you know the electronic voice phenomenons, and that's getting the different classifications for uh, for the EVPs. And with EVPs, you have three different types. You have A, B, and C. Uh, the A EVP is basically the clearest you can get. So it'll be to where we're asking a question, and you can completely make out what they're saying. Like, can you give us your name? And you'll say John. That would be a class A. Uh, A class B would be, what are you doing here? Can you tell us why you're here? And it might be, I live, you know, and you can pick up one or two words, but not all of it. So you have to kind of figure it out. Right. And then the class C EVP is basically exactly what it is. It's a class C. You can't make it out, but you can tell something's trying to talk. So you might be asking questions and you can just hear that noise. Like they're answering you, but you cannot make out what they're saying. So that's, that's the class C's. Right. Um, and I, to this day, remember the first time I got my class A EVP, I about jumped off my couch, went running across the street to tell my friend who was with me. And it was just like the most exciting thing in the world for me at that point, you know, being newbies and all of that. And when you hear that total disembodied voice and you know that, that it was nobody there with you kind of thing, it's just mind boggling. Well, what's the what's the best one you've ever? Oh you've goodness, ever uh, we've caught several. The first one that I ever caught, though, um, I was with someone, and I had made the comment. I had put this recorder down in a closet, a walk-in closet that was having some activity, and I put down the recorder, and I'm like, going, "Oh, should I take the recorder?" And you audibly hear a voice of a guy say just leave it and it wasn't the person who was with me they didn't say that at all it was just random and it was totally 
just mind-boggling how clear it was. Um, we've gotten a few other, I mean, I've gotten one where we were in a, the museum here in Mustang and we were starting the audio and we just try to start it without even before we start the investigation, we just turn it on sometimes. And I'm sitting there talking away and we're talking and chatting to each other back and forth and plain as day, you hear this little voice go, ghost, just plain as day. And it's a child <laughs> of all things. We had no children with us. Uh, it was a female child's voice and nobody acknowledged because nobody heard it. It just came perfectly across like it was a playful type thing. And I was just like, wow, okay. <laughs> do, you, do you catch most oh, yeah. of these after the fact? Like you yes, it's and hours and audio. hours and hours of listening to audio. I haven't even started listening to the one from this last weekend, but I'm, I'm actually kind of curious because I, I don't know. I, the fact that we heard disembodied voices without the audio recorder is a good indication that we're going to probably get some EVPs. So, and and see, I think that's one of the things that I, that some people don't realize. Who, like you were saying, just kind of jump mm -hmm. into this on a weekend. You know, they watch the TV shows, and what they don't realize is that there's hours upon hours upon mm -hmm. hours of editing that goes into condensing it into a one-hour show or a thirty-minute show. You guys spend hours upon hours going through your material, going through photos, mm -hmm. going through your, your recordings, and and it really is uh, a labor of love because it takes well, up so you've much got, of your time. For a typical investigation, even if you're running just a four-camera DVR system, a typical investigation is anywhere from four to six hours. So you've got four cameras at four to six hours. You've got you know two to three recorders from four to six hours. Uh, all the photos you take, I mean, I, I, thousands of literally thousands of still photos that you have to go through as well. So all of that is, is time consuming. It's just very, very time consuming. So it's not just a, Hey, let's go out and let's go see if we can catch something at this place. It's a, Hey, we need to go out. We need to go ahead and run all this. We need to go through and watch all these painstakingly hours of staring at this screen. So it's, yeah, it, if you're doing it right, it takes a lot of time and then you have to sit there and say, oh, I got an EVP right. at this time. So we're going to go back to cameras and we're going to try to pick up on the camera to see if we saw anything on the camera at the same time there was an EVP. Yeah. Well, and you know, I was flipping through some news feeds today and in Sepulpa, there's a restaurant on Route 66 called Dicks mm -hmm. on 66 and they've actually posted and I'll give uh, Kevin Severin the credit because he's the uh, KOKH Channel 8 reporter who did the story but they basically set up cameras in the restaurant because they were having activity mm -hmm. at night while no one was there and they caught lights turning off and on they caught things moving uh, orbs uh, voices on a voice recorder in fact mm -hmm. they caught a growl and they caught uh, some voices. Mm -hmm. One said Ethel. <laughs> one said Duke was here. And one said we're dead. Um, obviously, like you said, it, there, there does seem to be more and more activity. But as this all becomes more mainstream, I think we're going to get more and more of oh, this stuff absolutely. out in the open. Yeah. Um, and people are accepting it more now than, than they ever did. So. 
but the, even still, the, the more stuff we have, our photographs now, our, our recording devices, our tools, makes it so much easier to be able to even get this, you know, to, to be able to get it. So right. the stuff we have nowadays compared to what they had in the old days for photos and recordings, it's, it's definitely much easier for us to be able to find this, this um, evidence. Now, tell me about McCoy's Magical Well, McCoy's Magical Emporium um, actually started out as a store in El Reno um, where I was doing the ghost walks. Uh, We've now renamed it to the Raven's Gate. It is in Mustang now, but it is a metaphysical store. So it has kind of a little bit of everything with crystals and, and herbs and smudge sticks and basic, your basic tools when you're going into cleanse or for protection or whatever you're looking for that has to do along that same line. It can be found in the store. Um, go ahead. It's in Mustang, yeah. And that's in Mustang. So, do, do you have a uh, website? Uh, the website that, is or? theravensgate.com. Okay, great, great. And are there still plans there for is, a paranormal uh, museum? We're putting it into the Mustang Historical Society. We're actually going to have an area for that. Um, I was going to try to do it at the old location in El Reno. That didn't really work out. My shop here in Mustang is too small for it, but we did talk to the museum. And we're on the board there, and we're going to use it as an exhibit to help bring people into the historical museum as well to help share some of our history there. And then they can actually go in and look at the objects. It got shut down. Um, I was going to try to have it by this last October, but then my father-in-law passed away. So it's been pushed back a few months. It's going to take a little while to get it. Um, I have a lot of the haunted objects already, but we want to go a little more in depth. So I, I have a friend who's got a Bigfoot cast that I'm supposed to get from him. And uh, I have some people out there that's in the the UFO type field. We're going to try to get articles and things brought together that'll share not just haunted objects, but actual different things with the paranormal. So you can learn as you kind of walk through and it can give you a little glimpse into the stuff we do and the tools we use in the paranormal field. And if people wanted to reach you uh, or the Oklahoma Paranormal Association, You've got a great Facebook page. You can just look it up that way, and, and, and it's the first thing that pops up. But uh, what are other ways that they can reach you? If they um, need our to website is OKLPA.com. And honestly, there or on the Facebook page, it, it lists the numbers to call. It's so easy to, to try. Best way is to leave a message because half the time I'm at work. But we'll get back to you basically through those, either one of those venues. And uh, since mm-hmm. you mentioned it, I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Uh, you, you, you brought up UFOs and Bigfoot and some other things. Are these things in any way interconnected with one another? They can be. And some, there are different, different theories out there to where they think some of the hauntings may be extraterrestrial. That, you know, and, and it could also be, you know, crossing a planes because when you look into physics, it's talking about six different planes that run parallel and maybe we're crossing those or every once in a while, those two little fields might hit and cross over each other. And we glimpse like through a window into another realm. Some of that can be um, 
Bigfoot itself, I, I don't know if I'd really consider that a haunting, but I definitely know there are people out there that feel extraterrestrials do have an impact on the hauntings, so to speak. Right. Well, Tanya, that's a great way to end this uh, broadcast. I certainly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on with us again. It's Tanya McCoy. She's the founder of the Oklahoma Paranormal Association. Uh, Their website is oklpa.com. I encourage everyone to go check it out. But keep an eye on their Facebook page because they will go live with their Facebook page and they will show you what they're doing when they pull these investigations from around uh, areas in Oklahoma. And you can definitely reach out to them. So if you've got something going on at your house or your business, I encourage you, reach out to Tanya, reach out to her team and see if you can uh, connect with them because they can certainly help you Uh, with whatever you have going on and don't try to do it alone talk to the experts talk to tanya get some information from her maybe even go to her store in mustang raven's gate ravensgate.com and check that out tanya again thank you so much and and let's do this again down the road somewhere all right great thank you everyone for listening again This is Oklahoma Ghost Stories and Other Phenomenon. My name is Brad Heath. That was Tanya McCoy with the Oklahoma Paranormal Association. Thank you, everyone, and have a good day.